This is my friend Dan Lawrence. Can we welcome him? Some of you have met him. Um, Dan is from the Pittsburgh area, uh, Murraysville on the east side of the city. Um, and we ended up at Toccoa Falls College together. Dan was friends with me and Chelsea and John and Galfua, if you know, you know who we are. Um, <laughs> and uh, Dan and I lived together our, our freshman year. We were on the same hall and then in the, in the same house our senior year. Um, and kept up over the years, but I actually haven't, until this weekend, I haven't seen Dan in five years because he's been ministering with his family in France. And, um, and I, I want you to know this because it just warmed my heart. Dan is currently in the district that David and Merrill previously served in because yeah. um, he did ministry in D.C. for a while, and he's, he's with his family in D.C. right now. But Dan called me up and was like, there were a number of churches I just wanted to go and spend time with, even if they were at a distance, and we were one of them. Um, so we just want to honor, you know, what God is doing, you know, in this relationship. And Dan speaks our language when it comes to mission. So let's welcome him, and we're going to hear from Dan's heart. Thank you, Dan. Yeah. Joel, before you go, stay here, please. I just, have a, I just have a small gift for you. This isn't much, but um, our ministry, you'll hear a lot about this morning, is done in our home. And so I have a, a handmade, uh, this is a model of a French apartment in Paris, just as a call to prayer every time that you see it. Would you please remember to pray for our family in the ministry? All right, yeah, so um, thank you so much for having me with you all this morning. Yeah, I'm a Pittsburgh boy. I was born in McKees Rocks. I grew up on the east side in Murraysville. Uh, my family still lives there um, and ministered in the Washington, D.C. area for about 10 years before God called us overseas to Paris, France, where we've been for um, five years, yeah. And so this is my beautiful family. They wish they could be with you this morning. Um, we'll go to the next slide here. Uh, my wonderful wife, Lisa, and uh, we have two boys, Adley, who is eight, and Ellis, who is three. And um, I tell my kids all the time, I say, mom and dad aren't just missionaries, you are too. God's called our entire family there, and we're loving what we're doing there. God is on the move in France. Um, we uh, we're excited to be with you. I just say this, and I don't say this to every church. <laughs> I love you guys. Um, you're super, and this is great. And I've just really enjoyed. I love everyone, Joel. He's like laughing at me. Um, but I, I just, you guys, our hearts beat so similar, and it's such an encouragement and blessing to me. Um, I've loved our conversations. If you guys want to keep hearing about what God's doing in France, um, there's uh, two really easy ways you can do this. Well, first of all, just come talk to me. I'll be here all day. Love to talk with you. Um, secondly, if you're on social media, we post about our ministry on Facebook and Instagram at Lawrence's in Paris, or we send out a, a monthly just call to prayer about specific things that we need prayer for. There's a sign-up sheet in the lobby. You can sign up there. We also have a prayer card to be praying, but Lawrence's in Paris at gmail.com is how we send that out. Um, so you've seen it a little bit here. Joel already talked about from the neighborhoods to the nations. From the early days of the Christian Missionary Alliance, a call has been all of Jesus for all the world. And it's still the call of our people today. All of Jesus for all the world. I want to share a, a passage of scripture with you that you know, but I want you to look maybe at it a little differently this morning. 
This is the Great Commission. This is Jesus' last words to his disciples after the crucifixion, after the resurrection, before he goes into heaven. He says this as, as a commission to them. But in this this morning, I want you to maybe look a little differently as we highlight the word all. All of Jesus for all the world. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. Where they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything or all things that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. So there's four alls. There's four alls in this passage, and the first is all authority. See, we cannot fail in this mission because we carry our king's credentials. All peoples, no one is to be denied the opportunity to enter into his kingdom. And all I have commanded, everything that we need to remain rooted in his great love and guided in his sacred mission, he gives that to us. And with you always, the promise of his presence that his spirit is abiding in us 24-7 in a powerful way. Today I want to talk a little bit more specifically about all peoples. All peoples is where we're going to focus today. So the world that we serve in is in need. There's about 7.1 billion people in the world, and not everyone has equal access to the gospel. If you look at this graph here, green represents people that have high access to the gospel. Yellow is low, and red is no access to the gospel. They can't hear. They've never heard. They don't have opportunities to hear the story of Jesus Christ. More than 4,000 people groups are unreached. That means, as far as we know, there's not one Christian among them. Let's go to the next slide. This is what that looks like on a map. Green being high access, yellow being low, and red being almost no access to the gospel. But the encouraging thing, one of the reasons I love being part of this family, is that 80% of our workers from the Christian Missionary Alliance are reaching the least and the last reached people in the world. And so we are happy and honored to be among those serving in, in Europe um, we are part of a team in France where we're serving there, and um, we have three locations that the Alliance is serving in France. In the south, Toulouse, which actually a lot of our ministry is in Arabic because of the amount of refugees that are coming into this part of France. On the west, in Bordeaux, near the ocean, God is doing some amazing things there. And then north in the capital where me and my team serve in the international city of Paris. Now, my family and I live um, in an apartment, and I mentioned uh, to Joel just briefly about apartments, but most of the apartments in France um, are not real tall. They're maybe seven, eight, nine stories, but always there's a shop on the bottom floor. A lot of times it's a bakery or a cafe, or it could be a tailor or a cobbler or who knows, but there's always a, a shop. So street life is a big deal. Um, this is our apartment. You, in a distance, maybe see my wife and two boys waving at you from the window. It's a little two-bedroom apartment, but it's our ministry hub. This is where we do ministry from, inviting people into our home four to five nights a week, inviting them to share with us at the table. But the reality is, this shop underneath of us is not a bookstore. It's a mystic crystal shop. 
Right under the floorboards of our home is a mystic crystal shop. See, people come looking for hope. They come to mystic, find mystic crystals looking for things like luck or fortune or good health. But we all know that this is false hope. It's demonic, really. But this store is always busy. It's always packed. There are people in it all the time, and it's really a snapshot of the spiritual condition in Paris. Let me just share some stats with you. I, th these kind of things resonate with me well, and hopefully they resonate with you. France is a post-Christian or post-religion culture. And that what that means is that once upon a time, Catholicism was really influential, but it's no longer that way. And so people, while a lot of people in America might be um, apathetic towards church, people in Europe are antagonistic towards anything to do with God. They're aggressively against it. France right now is the fourth largest atheist country in the entire world. And humanism mysticism and philosophy rule the day. If you're not familiar with humanism, here's the, the quick outlook on this. It's the idea that um, all the problems in the world are created by humanity. So sin and evil and Satan, those aren't, aren't, those aren't things. But along with that, all the solutions to those problems can be found within humanity. So there's no need for a savior. And that is one of the major belief systems in Europe right now. So because of that, less than 1% of the population claim to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. In our neighborhood in France, in Paris, there's one church for every 60,000 people. And the average size of that church is only about 30, maybe 40 people. So in the Alliance, we talk a lot about gospel access. I mentioned it with the map and the colors. And, but what does that really mean for people in France? It means that many people in France have never once heard the gospel, but not only have they never heard, they can't hear. Even if they wanted to find out more, they don't have access to it. They don't know where to look. There are not many churches around to just walk into. Most people have lived their entire life and never once met a disciple of Jesus. And most of them will live their entire life and never even walk into the same room is another Christian. So the only way for them to hear is that someone has to go and tell them. And that's why we're there. So in the city of Paris, here's a map of Paris. Um, it's broken into 20 um, districts. We live in the 15th district. It's highlighted in red. In the southwest side of the city, it's a, it's a highly populated area, but one of the main reasons we're there is because it has the highest concentration of young families. And we've found that often people that tend to be open to the gospel are people with young children. And so we're there trying to reach young families as we ourselves are a young family. But what do you do in a culture where if you were to invite people to church, immediately they would reject you and say no? Well, instead of inviting them to church, we invite them to dinner. We're part of a brand new thing, and it's not that new for you guys around here. You've heard of this term, missional communities. But this isn't something that's been practiced a lot in international missions. And so this is our heartbeat in what we're doing. In a culture where people are anti-anything religion, they, they are honored by an invitation to dinner or to coffee or to hang out. So we lead with hospitality. 
We're having people into our home multiple nights a week. And we believe that as people get to know us because of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, they're getting to experience the love and the person of Jesus Christ. See, the picture on the left that you see is often what we like to see at a table, right? It's pretty, it's nice, we got flowers and candlelit, but I much, much prefer the picture on the right. If you have had dinner parties, you can almost hear that picture. Plates clanging, people laughing, someone asking, can you pass me the bread? See, because it's not what's important, what's on the table. What's important is who's around it. And so we have found that barriers break down when people are invited to the table. This is where community is formed. People coming together, caring for one another, exploring God with one another. And we have found that people often need to be introduced to the people of God before they can be introduced to the person of God. We found that often people need to belong before they believe. And when you read through the Gospels, you see that the ministry of Jesus was often, very often, gathering around a table. I think that Jesus was probably at the table more than he was in the temple. And the book of Acts and the early church were full of people gathering in homes, sharing in community with one another, and we are trying to return to that, a modern-day expression of the early church. But the reality is a table doesn't have to be a table. It can be a picnic blanket. French people love to eat outside. And many Saturdays, we will just send texts to the many people that we've met in our community and said, hey, we're meeting at this park on Saturday. Why don't you come, bring some food, and we'll share. And for hours on Saturdays, we will sit in parks and eat. And sometimes people just walking by will say, hey, do you mind if I join you? And so the thing is, is that through this idea of food and community and gathering, deep level soul conversations are being birthed. But sometimes, sometimes it's in the community. I'm going to go to the next picture here. We have a friend who's a teacher, and we had had her over for dinner, and she was like, hey, I like your dinner stuff. This is great. She said, um, we should do it sometime. And I said, well, when? She's like, how about now? And I was visiting her at her school. She begins to pull tables and chairs out of the classrooms, and if you look in the back, you can see the playground. We're at the playground at the school, and she just starts calling people and say, hey, why don't you come on? You guys have some food. Let's bring some food. Let's gather around, and let's eat. Literally in the playground of the school, sitting at desks and tables, and God's doing some really cool things from this. See, our goal is to have a regular gathering of people coming together with the intent to discover who Jesus is. And the dream is that as people would come together and see and interact with the, the living Christ in those groups, that then those groups would multiply. And that one day there would be a missional community represented in every, 20, every one of the 20 districts in Paris. But the reality is, is I think a lot of times when we talk about missions, we talk about doing missions. But it's time for us to shift from doing missions to being missional. And it's part of who we are. I want to share a story with you about my friend Fred. One day my wife with our youngest son was at the park and, and she was there and they were playing and she was talking to him in English and this man um, out of nowhere at the public park just comes to her and he says, Excusez-moi, madame, est-ce que vous êtes un Américain? Excuse me, ma'am, but, but are you an American? 
Well, when you're in another country and you get asked that question, you don't always know the intent of it. So she was a little hesitant to ask, but she said, well, yes, sir, I am. He goes, oh, great, I love America. I went to New York City once back in the 80s, and it was great. Oh, okay, Fred, that's great, cool. And so my wife starts talking with him, and he's like, I'd love you to meet my wife. And he invites his wife over, and they have two children, and they strike up a conversation. Well, you know, after about 15 minutes or so, the the conversation, um, the kids get a little restless. And so they say, well, we're going to have to go out. Well, my wife, my courageous wife says, hey, it's been great to know you. I wasn't there. I'm sure my husband would like to meet you guys. Would it be okay if I had your cell phone number? They said, sure, of course. They exchanged numbers. A week later, the four of us got together at a cafe for coffee, and we just began to talk, and I thought they were just going to ask us questions about America, but they didn't. (laughs) They just wanted to get to know us, and we talked for four hours just over coffee, getting to know one another. We began to spend time with Fred and his wife, Leticia, over and over again. Almost every week we were in their home or they were in ours. We're in the community taking our kids to events together, just developing these relationships. They're asking questions about who we are. We're, uh, we're sharing with them who they are. And we just had this relationship that blossomed. It wasn't very long that I'm walking in the streets of the city, and as we would come across someone, Fred, Fred would begin to introduce me as his best friend. This is my best friend, Dan. Have you met him yet? And we began to talk. Now, in European culture, vacation is a big deal. Notoriously, a lot of French people take about three weeks in the month of August to go on vacation. And this is exclusive. It's a sacred time. It's only for family. They save up all year to go on this. Let's go to the next slide. But Fred and Leticia said, hey, would you guys please join us on vacation? Well, we said, sure. Now, see, like, okay, we vacation together. In French culture, this is huge because it means your family. It means your family. So we were hanging out with Fred and Leticia for about two years. Fred comes to me one day, and he says, Dan, I, I want to ask you a question. I said, sure, what's up? He said, you know, Leticia and I, we, we've lived together for years. We have two children, but um, we're not married, which is very common. Most French people don't get married anymore. And he said, uh, but we're thinking about getting married. I said, oh, that's great. Yeah, man, great, you know. And he said, I was wondering if I could ask you a favor. I said, what? He's like, would you be my best man? I said, Fred, man, I'd be honored to be your best man. Let's go to the next slide. This is a picture of Fred and Leticia on their wedding day. Now, as we've gotten to know this, the end of the wedding day, it was a beautiful, beautiful day. I I gave a speech. (laughs) I had to give the toast in French, which was a challenge, um, at the reception. And I just, I wove the gospel into it. And I talked about God's agape love and how marriage is a a testament to that. At the end of the day, we started... um, we started tearing down. You know, the, the bride and the groom were with us tearing down chairs. It doesn't always make sense, but that's the culture. I said, I used to be a pastor. I'm pretty good at stacking chairs. So um, we stuck around and we, we, we stacked chairs and everyone else was gone. And Fred looked at me and he said, Dan, thank you. It's no problem, Fred. I like to help, man. I can stack chairs. He said, no, 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 no. Not thank you for the chairs. I said, oh, he said, thank you. He said, you are always kind And you are always present in my life. That idea of presence is what it means to be missional. That God, through us encountering the presence of God, then we are there, then able 
to be present in the life of people, the lives of people that do not yet know him. So this morning, I, I, I want to get into the word with you guys. And, and so if you have your Bibles or if you um, have an app, and I'm going to put it on the screen too, we're going to look at Luke 15. And um, before we do that, I, I want to pray with you guys, and then we'll, we'll get into this. Dear Jesus, we, we thank you. God, I just echo the spirit of gratitude that was just displayed before us today. God, we come to you this morning as we open your word with anticipation. God, anticipation of what you want to say to us. God, we come with ears and hearts and eyes wide open, and we ask, Lord Jesus, speak to us today. May we grasp something new about you this day, Lord. May our understanding of you grow. In your name we pray. Amen. So um, a lot of people ask me, even after all the stats, even after the stories that I've shared with you, why Paris? Isn't that where people go on vacation? I always just respond with this, and if you're in the Alliance, you've heard of this before, but lost people matter to God, and he wants them found. That's why. Lost people matter to God, and he wants them found. And that's kind of the theme of our talk today. Luke 15 we often focus a lot of times when we read the Word of God, we often focus on the words of Jesus. I don't know about you, but I grew up with one of those red-letter edition Bibles where all the words of Jesus were in red, and those are great. But I think sometimes when we focus on the words of Jesus, which are so important, that sometimes we neglect the actions of Jesus. See, often I think that Jesus teaches the why, but often he lives the how. See, in the middle of the book of Luke, we find that Jesus is, yes, been teaching, but what is he doing? He's hanging out with sinners. He's hanging out with people and religious leaders, that, and those religious leaders are like, hey, yeah, those aren't the people you should be hanging out with, but those are the people you should stay away from. Oh, Jesus, no. He can't pull himself away from those people, the people that are in need of him. And let's look at the first two verses. Just the first two verses of Luke 15, it says this, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners, and he eats with them. Okay, so who is Jesus with in this passage? He's, he's with tax collectors. He's with lost people, people that don't have a relationship with Jesus. And what does Jesus say in these first two verses? Nothing. He doesn't say a thing. Because it's all about what Jesus is doing here. See, the quote of this verse is only given by the religious leaders as they observe Jesus and they say, this man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. You can almost hear the disgust and disdain in their voices as they say it. But I love this quote because it speaks so much about who Jesus is and the way that he lived his life. He welcomed never pushing away people, loving them, accepting them, and respecting them, regardless of who they were or where they came from. And on top of that, he eats with them. See, there is power in inviting someone to eat with you. He makes them feel as equals. He embraces them. He honors them. And he says, I welcome you into community with me. And honestly, I think one of the reasons that I love this quote so much is it's like our philosophy of ministry in Paris. I really hope that it can be said of me, this man welcomes sinners, and he eats with them. 
See, Jesus does something unique here in this passage. He leads with the how. He shows the religious leaders how to live, how to do ministry, and with whom to minister to. And then when they confront him about this, that's when he gives them the why. He basically calls and says to them, lost people matter to God and he wants them found, but he says it in the form of three famous parables, known as the parables of the lost. You're probably familiar with these, so I'm I'm gonna go through them. In the Bible, people who don't know Jesus are referred to as lost. In Luke 15, Jesus tells three parables. He tells of a shepherd who lost his sheep. He leaves his flock of 99 to go after that one that is lost. The shepherd doesn't stop until he finds his sheep. Secondly, he tells of a woman who lost a coin. She calls all of her friends together and her neighbors to help her find this one lost coin. And thirdly, he tells what many consider the greatest short story ever written, the parable of the lost son or the prodigal son. The son that takes his father's inheritance early, basically saying to his dad, who's the God character, I wish you were dead. I don't care about you. I only care about what you can give me. And he takes his inheritance, and of course, as you know, he squanders it all. He blows it all. But eventually, he helplessly returns to the father. And amazingly, even though he turned his back on the father, the father welcomes him back. The father, the Bible says, sees him in a distance. We get this image that even though he was a long way off, the father has been waiting daily, anxiously awaiting his son's return. And it's a glorious image to you and me and how God views lost people. He welcomes them back. He wants them to return. He wants them found. As I was reading these three parables, in all three parables, there was one glaring similarity. In all of these occasions, when what is lost is found, there is a huge and extravagant party. There is a celebration. The shepherd calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I found my lost sheep. The lady who lost her coin calls her friends and neighbors and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. And of course, the father of the prodigal son in verses 22 and 24 says, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fat calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. What do these celebrations tell us? What do they tell us about how God views lost people? Lost people are treasured by God. Lost people are treasured by God. See, Jesus sees people who are lost as treasured and valuable, and so should we. Lost people are something to be cherished, and God desperately, desperately wants them back. He was willing to do whatever it takes to have them return. This is how we should see people that don't know Jesus, and this is what I believe Jesus always intended. After all, if you think about it, friends, we all were once lost but now we're found. Lost people matter to God, and he wants them found. I want to tell you a story about my friend Nazar. Go to the next picture here. Nazar, this is my friend. He's holding our son Ellis when he was one in our apartment. Nazar is an immigrant from the country of Iran. Now, we can't get missionaries into Iran, but sometimes people from Iran come to our missionaries. 
I met, I met Nazar a few years ago. Um, uh, actually, if any, any world soccer fans, probably not. But um, France won the World Cup. It was a big deal. And so everybody in the city was watching games together. And I was out in the community just finding where people were watching games, trying to go be present among them. And I met Nazar watching a soccer match. And um, we began to talk. And, and Nazar says to me, um, he loves sports. And he says, what's this weird sport you guys play in America? I said, well, what are you talking about? <laughs> he says, you know, the one where they wear helmets and hit each other. I'm like, oh, yeah, you mean American football. Yeah. He said, what is this? Um, I said, oh, it's kind of interesting. Would you, would you want to watch a game sometime? He said, sure. I said, okay, Sunday there's a, there's a game. I'll get it on the Internet. Come over to my house, and I'll teach you about American football. He says, this is great. Do you mind if I bring some friends? I said, no, that would be wonderful, yeah. Bring your friends on over. And so they came over one Sunday night. My wife cooked a great meal, and we sat down, and I began to explain the game to them. And at the end of the night, they said, this is great. And I said, hey, you know there's a game next week. You want to come back? Sure, this is wonderful. Mind if we bring a few more friends? No, yeah, bring your friends. This is great. So we started having people in our home every Sunday night. Just an open-door policy. We just, hey, every Sunday night, there's going to be football and food. You just come. Now, if you look at this picture, the TV is on the right. No one's looking at it. <laughs> because football is just the excuse. One day I was walking through the streets with Nazar, and we were in the community, and he goes up to a person, and he says, hey, this is my friend Dan. Oh, yeah, hey, nice to meet you. Um, you should come to his house on Sunday nights because um, we have this football party thing. But then he says to his friends, you know, if you don't like sports, that's okay. No one comes for football. He says everyone comes for the people. It was all about community. Nazar is in my house at least once a week. We did American football nights for about two years, which if you add all the weeks up, it's like 50 weeks. Nazar never missed a single week. He was in my house every Sunday night for about 50 weeks. Shared the gospel with Nazar, was able to give Nazar a Bible. We talked about a lot of different things. I found out Nazar's story. Nazar moved to France. He married a French woman. That's why he came. A few years ago, his wife left him and took their only son, and he hasn't seen them in years. Nazar is like a lot of people in Paris. He lives alone, and in big cities around the world, loneliness is an epidemic. He lives alone, he lives alone in an apartment that's probably the size of your bathroom. I've been there. It's tiny. A lot of people live like that. Nazar was coming because he needed people. He needed community. Right before we came back, to Fran back from France to America, just a few months ago, Nazar was helping me pack some boxes as we were getting ready to leave. And he said to me, Dan, I'm, I'm, I'm going to miss you. I said, Nazar, I'll miss you too, buddy. But, you know, we're coming back. He said, no, 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 you don't understand. He said, Dan, you have other people in your life. I have no one else. Nazar's around a lot. He'll just knock on my door and say, hey, Dan, I'm in your neighborhood. Do you want to grab coffee? And if I can, I always say yes. I've had other people say, hey, you know, Nazareth's here a lot. Does that, does that ever get annoying to you? I say no. Because Nazareth is treasured by God. And he should be treasured by me also. God wants to find the lost through us. God wants to find the lost through us. We'll go to that next slide, please. God, one more. God wants to find the lost through us. I'm going to just jump out of Luke 15 for a minute to, to emphasize this point, and you don't have to turn there, but I want to go to Luke, I mean, sorry, go Matthew 4, 18 through 20. 
This is the story of Jesus first calling his disciples and illustrate this idea that God wants to find the lost through us. Now, as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea. For they were fishermen, and he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets, and they followed him. See, in this passage that we've heard many times before, Peter and Andrew are now at this moment for the first time becoming disciples of Jesus. And, and Jesus leads with the most two powerful words that we can ever hear in our life. He says, follow me. Words that he, Christ, still beckons to us today. Follow me. And first and foremost, we are called to the person of Christ. But in this passage, what follows those two words, follow me and and I will make you fishers of men. Jesus is saying, I want you to help to get other people to join me. Jesus is saying, together we will help others follow me. See, evangelism and mission are so important to Jesus. He talks about them all the time. We see it time and time again. And actually here, in the same breath, in the same breath that he calls his disciples to follow him, he also calls them to mission. This is the beginning of becoming a disciple. This is the basics of our faith. But yet, often, for some reason, modern-day disciples have walked away from this truth. See, sharing Jesus with others is at the very core of who Jesus calls us to be. More, I think the most undervalued word in this, in this, um, in this verse is the word and. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. If you follow Jesus, then you will make followers of Jesus. See, Jesus uses the word and. He doesn't use the word or, or insert other people, or only people with special gifts, or just a few of you, or some of you that have a special calling. No, he could have done that, but he didn't because it's a call for all. But often we, the modern day church, like to separate the two. But there should be no difference between following Jesus and intentionally helping others to follow Jesus. Disciples make disciples. And if you're not actively involved in helping someone discover Jesus, by his own definition, what kind of disciple are we? And honestly, I think one of the greatest crimes of the modern-day church is that we have allowed people to believe that you can truly be a disciple of Jesus without actively being involved in rescuing lost people. I was always told that your first and last impressions that you make on someone are the most important. Well, this is the first impression that Jesus gives to his disciples. You know what his last impression is? We already read it. The Great Commission. Go. Go on to all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Holy Spirit. Jesus' entire ministry with his disciples is bookended by the call to mission. Let's go back to Luke 15. Jesus wants to emphasize how he feels a lot about lost people so much that he tells these three parables. And when Jesus does something in threes, pay attention, he's trying to get your attention. When he shares about lost people, he is doing two things. He's talking, yes, but we already said he, how he feels about lost people. But he also wants to describe how we as found disciples should also feel about lost people. Let's go to uh, 3 through 7. This is the parable of the lost sheep. 
Suppose one of you had a hundred sheep and, and loses one of them. Does he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I found my lost sheep. I tell you in the same way there is more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. In the parable, the role of the shepherd represents God. Now, I could go into how during this time, Jesus' audience and the culture, how much that herd meant to the shepherd. It's his everything. It's his income. It's his insurance. It's his retirement plan. It's his entire livelihood and likely the livelihood of the generations before him and after him. So to leave the 99 culturally seems crazy. But that one sheep, that one sheep, it means so much to the shepherd. It's worth any risk, any risk to go after the lost sheep. When I was recently rereading this passage, a phrase just popped off the page to me. Two words just shot off the pages of Scripture to me, and I believe these are the two words that God wants me to give with you today. And those are the words, go after. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country to go after the lost sheep until he finds it? We serve a missionary God. Amen? A missionary God, a God who left behind the comforts of heaven to come to earth and take on the feeble form of humanity so that he could save us. He came after us. A God that could have said, look what you got yourselves into now. Good luck with that. No. He came after us. He came and he died on the cross in the greatest rescue effort that the world has ever seen. And he's still coming after us today. He chases after us, he pursues us, and he's intentionally coming after us in everything that he does. And God desperately wants you to return to him. God desperately wants the lost found. And as we are called to be imitators of Christ, God is calling us to go after the lost. But how? Let me say this to you. Missional living is intentional living. Missional living is intentional living. God is calling us all to go after lost people. He's calling us to be intentionally missional in all that we do. Do we view every single day of our lives as an opportunity to go after lost people? Do we pray daily for the lost in our lives and in our communities? Before you exit your home every day, do we ask God to use this day to bring a lost person into your life? Are we actively outside the walls of our churches and our homes, entrenched in the community, looking for ways to share the gospel with people for the very first time? Are you intentionally going after the lost? Because I believe from the days that Jesus called his disciples on the shore, it's what he's always intended for us to do. Because lost people matter to God, and he wants them found. In Luke 19.10, Jesus said this. He said, I came to seek and to save the lost. I came to seek and to save the lost. Now, we can't save the lost, amen? Only Jesus can do that. But we can seek out the lost. We can seek them out, and we can introduce them to the person of Jesus. Introduce them to the only one that can save them. As imitators of Christ, we need to seek out, go after the lost. And it's clear to me that this is what Jesus is calling us to do. It's what he's always called us to do. You know what's interesting in this role that I have this year? I've traveled around and 
spoke at several churches. I've been around churches my whole life, but never once have I seen a dying church that is truly missional. Because when we become missional, it changes everything. It changes our hearts, it changes our purpose, it changes our perspective, and it changes our attitudes. But most importantly, it aligns our hearts with the heart of God. And we become obedient in what God has called us to do. God will bless that. But being intentional about missions does not have to be some massive undertaking. It can be. But for a lot of us, missional living can be intentionally living in such a way that goes after the lost on a daily basis. It can even be in the simple things of life, like cooking, going to a store, going to a playground, going to a park, going to the pool, going to the gym. All these types of things can be missional if you're intentional in how you do it. What we see as mundane, God intends for mission. It can be as simple as this man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. Sure, a couple examples of this. You guys know it's October, almost November. It's fall, y'all. A lot of times this year we go to pumpkin patches, we go pick apples. That's, just, that's what we do, right? Well, there's a farm, an apple farm outside of Paris, and um, my wife and I and our boys were going to go pick apples. But why go alone? We called about 15 of our lost neighbors and said, hey, you want to come with us? And they said, it's awesome. Yeah, we've never done this before. I'm like, yeah, Americans, we do it all the time. But come pick apples. So we went and we, we went to a little farm and we just picked apples. We spent like half a day just with these people out in the trees in the orchard just picking in God's creation, talking, having deep conversation together. It was something we were already going to do. Why not invite lost people to join us? Here's another one. Birthday parties. My, uh, my youngest son, Ellis, turned one. Now, if any of you have had a birthday party for a one-year-old, you know you're not really throwing them a party, right? You don't ask your one, do you have a guest list that you would like? No. You're throwing the party for the parents and the friends, right? And that's, that's who you invite. So that's what happens. We, we decided, hey, we're going to throw a party for our son. He's turning one. It's something we'd already do. Let's invite 35 of our neighbors to come and celebrate this party with us. Why not? Some of you guys were here the other night. I told a story about Sylvia, the lady from Italy, who's a really strong atheist. She's on the picture on the left, sitting right next to our son. She was in our house that night. Because people are invited into celebrations that are things that we're already going to do. And we say, hey, we, we consider you honored enough to join in our family celebrations. It means a lot. Here's another one. Not far from our apartment, just down the street from the Mystic Crystal Shop, is a flower shop. Now, my wife loves flowers, and quite often we'll stop and buy flowers on the way home to have on our table. And so we started stopping at this flower shop all the time, and eventually we met a lady named Noah. Noah's the owner of the flower shop. This is her and my wife. My wife started stopping in there and talking, and they would develop a relationship. And um, uh, we started topping in, not even just to buy flowers, just to talk with Noah. They got to know each other and developed this relationship. And my wife said to Noah, she said, hey, when's your day off? She says, Thursdays. You want to grab coffee sometime? Yeah, sure, that'd be great. Her and my wife started meeting outside of the business. They started meeting in the community, just hanging out. They became friends. We go to the, co we go to the flower shop all the time, but we don't go for flowers anymore. We go for Noah. Here's the thing. 
story after story of in businesses in our community that we intentionally visit. Is that the cheapest flower shop in town? No way. It's a little marked up, honestly. But we don't go there for the flowers. I have a butcher I go to. I have a baker. I have some of the same people that I visit every week. I know their families' names, their kids' names. I've heard their stories. And we're intentionally just living life in such a way that we're getting to know these people with the hopes that God would someday open the door for mission. In the parable of the lost coin, I share this with you, and I want to invite Jake to come back up here in a second. Verses 8 through 10 of the parable of the lost coin, we get a sense of an urgency from Jesus. He describes the woman in the story as lighting a lamp, sweeping the house, and searching carefully until she, until she finds that which is lost. As Jesus is telling this story, we get this idea that there is a sense of urgency. There's a sense of urgency when it comes to Jesus, that this is something that cannot be put off until tomorrow. Sound the alarm. Time is of the essence. A.B. Simpson who was the founder of the Christian Missionary Alliance, our movement once said this, missions is not merely an opportunity, it's an emergency. It's an emergency. But here's the reality. Churches don't talk like this anymore. But we need to. We need to look at the world around us that is lost and broken and say, sound the alarm. The time is now. See, we live in a world where there are unreached people groups everywhere. That means that these groups, there's not one known Christian that we know of. Right now, it's believed that there's over 4,000 unreached people groups in the world that don't have access to the gospel. Stats show us that right now, there's roughly 2.4 billion people that have never even once heard the name of Jesus. 2.4 billion. You know, my family and I, we left to go to France in 2015. Some of you guys might remember, but that year there was a giant terrorist attack in Paris. Literally, we'd already agreed to go. We're on our way to Paris, and this terrorist attack happens. Well, my friends and my family, people that I love and care about, godly individuals, said, Dan, don't go. It's dangerous. Don't go. So what about your kids? Like, something could happen. This isn't safe. Safe. Here's the reality. On the day of that terrorist attack in Paris, 129 people died. And according to the statistics that I shared with you, there's a good chance that not one of them entered into eternity knowing who Jesus Christ is. And you know what? I'm not okay with that. That's not fine with me. It doesn't sit well in my soul, the fact that there are people all around the world dying and they've never once had the chance to hear the name of Jesus. It shouldn't be fine with any of us. I believe that it breaks the heart of God because they matter to him they're treasured by him he wants them found and he's asking us to partner with him in this mission 
It breaks the heart of God. Does it break your heart? Do you have a sense of anguish in your soul for the lost? Because out of that brokenness, out of that understanding of aligning our hearts with God and breaking for what breaks His, a mighty mission can be born. See, a lot of us believe in Jesus. But let me ask you this. Do you believe Jesus? When Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me, do you believe him? Because if you do, go after the lost. Seek out the lost. See, here's something encouraging for you today. We are part of something significant. We're part of something lasting and monumental. We are part of the kingdom of God. The news today is full of Christians and brothers and sisters all around the world that are being killed for their faith. We, as his bride, are being attacked, but the gospel is unstoppable. It's, it's an increasingly dangerous time to be a follower of Jesus Christ in this world. But I believe that for such a time as this, we were called. For such a time as this, we were created. For such a time as this, the Holy Spirit is empowering us for his work. Because lost people matter to God. And he wants them found. This is not a human endeavor that we are undertaking. This is not the mission of the Gospel Tabernacle. This is not the mission of the Christian and Missionary Alliance. This is the mission of God himself. And this mission is fueled by his Holy Spirit. So today I want to end with a question for you. And no, the question is not, is God calling you? Because I believe he already has. And I hope that you can see that from the scriptures today, that he is calling every disciple to join him on mission. Every disciple in this room today, he is calling you to go after the lost. God is calling us all to reach lost people. So the better question is this. How will you respond to the call that God has placed on your life? Because he wants them found. Let's pray. Lord God, we celebrate today what you have done for us. And God, we want people all around the world to celebrate today what you have done for them. God, we want to partner with you in that celebration. God, we want to be introducers. We want to introduce people to Jesus. We want to be people that make the most important introduction in a person's life. They say, let me tell you about the, what the Lord has done for me. I, I, I can't help it, but I just got to introduce you to Jesus. Oh, Lord, may that be us. Spur within us a fire anew to go after the people that don't know you. God, may our hearts break for what breaks yours. God, align our hearts with yours. God, help us to be obedient. Obedient to what you've called us to do. God, I don't know what you're saying to people right now in this moment. But I get a sense right now that there are people here that you're calling to go. 
Maybe it's across the world. Maybe it's across the street. But God, there are people here that you're moving in their hearts today. Let's do this a little old school. If you feel that God is pricking your heart, that the Holy Spirit is pricking your heart this morning to become a goer, wherever that would be, not to just do missional work, but to become a missional person, would you just raise your hand where you're at today? Just lift your hand if that's what God is saying to you. He'll keep you to it. Be a person of your word. He's going to keep you to that hand raised today. Some of you here in this morning, God's asking to be a sender. You're equally important. We need senders. The goers need senders. Pray that God's calling some of you to be senders this morning. In closing, Lord God, I come to you in prayer of surrender. That God, we surrender our lives to you. We surrender our hopes to you. We surrender our dreams to you, Lord. Anything that we have in our minds, we give it to you and we say, God, have your way in me. Do as you wish, do as you will in my life. God, use me how you want to use me. God, I surrender to you. God, take my life if it brings you glory. Take my wife, take my children, take my job, take my home, take my car, whatever it would be, God, I give it to you for the sake of your glory, the sake of your gospel that all may hear. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation will hear this word. And then the end will come. God, we join you in bringing back the king. God, we join you. Your word tells us that you'll come back once they've heard. God, selfishly, some days I dream (laughs) that I will be that person that I share with that person and that's the tipping point that you say, okay, it's time and our king comes again. Lord God, we ask you, help us to live in an abandoned way, abandoning our lives to you, fully surrendered, fully devoted. God, call us deeper into this life with you. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.